Hey guys, before this episode starts, I want to talk about some pretty cool news. Oki Investigations now has its own website. It's truecrime.blog, and it is a running blog for crime stories and for this show. So if you're a true crime buff and you want to see some cool things that we gathered while researching each show, including a like timeline of events that we put together, uh, newspaper clippings, court documents, and much, much more. Come check us out at truecrime.blog. One, two, three, and... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Oki Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby. In this episode, we're going to discuss the Geronimo Bank Massacre that left four people dead. This case remains one of the most shocking and violent crimes in Oklahoma's history and still has people asking questions today. In this episode, we'll discuss what happened, why, and what's happened since. But first, if you're a first-time listener to experience this podcast to its finest, hit that subscribe button so when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Then, head on over to our Facebook page. Here we can discuss the case together and perhaps come up with our own theories on the many cases that are featured on this show. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Oki Investigations. I hope you all have been well. I've been pretty fantastic. As of this podcast, I'm officially nine pounds down. This pandemic has been hard because I know it's it's made it where I can't really leave the house a whole lot like I used to. And my job is primarily me sitting in a chair, so I don't get a lot of exercise. But I've stuck to my guns and I'm making this work. I'm also getting some program together for next week. I will be out of town. I typically record, edit, and score the show on the same day it comes out. But at this time, um, I'm going to have to do it early. The process in the show that takes the longest is I don't tend to use a lot of websites when doing research. And yeah, researching topics on the show probably takes the longest part in making this show. I found early on that some sources on these subjects either inflate the facts or don't include them all when they make their articles or YouTube shows. So I don't really trust them. If you actually do the digging yourself, you come away with a narrative of the time that's a more factual story. Anyways, I hope you all enjoy the show. Let's start, shall we? Growing up, my mom was a bank teller. And one of the things I remember from when I was little was they had many security measures all over the bank that she worked at. This was because they were robbed before and they wanted to beef up security. There were buttons on the floor that they could tap with their feet, and and that would send out a signal to the police that they were being robbed. They had a camera system that was pretty intense. It was pretty state-of-the-art of of its time. And you always felt like you were being watched when you went in that, that bank. And it was designed that way for a reason. They wanted everyone coming into that bank that might do them harm aware that they're being watched and reported. This was not uncommon for banks in the 1980s. Technology was advancing at a rapid rate, and equipment like this was becoming more and more affordable. This was also the time where you saw more and more of the smaller locally owned banks start to fall and the bigger national banks start to take over. This was pretty important because a lot of the big national banks wanted to secure their investment. And by securing it, that meant, you know, 
beefing up security. A lot of the smaller banks would typically fall behind in these areas. It's a lot of money to install a camera system or alarm systems and just getting all of that set up. It's a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of effort. And that's a lot easier for the bigger bank corporations that maybe rely on that a little bit more for insurance reasons. Now, from what I could gather, the bank in Geronimo, Oklahoma was behind its time. It's the only bank in town, and it hadn't been open for very long, but it seemed to be lacking in some security. On December 14, 1984, the tellers were halfway through their shift and probably looking forward to going home. It was 1.30 p.m. when a man walked into the building. He approached the counter, pulled out a pistol, and ordered everyone into a room in the back of the bank. The bank's manager, two employees, two customers were ordered onto the ground, and then they were violently stabbed and shot. Now, if that's not bad enough, at this time, a customer comes into the bank, and she notices that there's nobody in the front, and she peers into the back of the bank, and she sees what's going on. So she runs out of the bank, goes and tells her husband, who is in the car, and he thinks it's just a joke. He thinks they're playing some kind of prank on them. And so he gets out of the car, grabs their baby, and they three of all three of them go into the bank. Now, this was not the wisest decision because when they re-enter the bank, the gunman comes out, tells them to get on the floor. He puts a gun to the back of their heads and he says, do you want me to shoot your baby? and he doesn't give them time to even respond. He fires and shoots both of them in the back of the head, and then he aims his gun at the baby. He pulls the trigger several times, but now he's out of bullets. What's scary about all of this is you think that this is a guy that he just doesn't want to leave witnesses behind. He is just out for the money, and he's going to kill everybody that could pin him for this crime. But now here he is trying to kill a baby and somebody that can't testify against him that won't remember what's going on. And this is just ridiculous. So he robs the bank and flees in his car. Now, a few short moments later, another customer shows up at the bank. This woman is trying to get some payroll stuff done for Christmas time. And when she walks into the bank, she can hear the baby crying. And she goes into the back of the bank and realizes something terrible has happened. Everyone's on the floor, not moving. There's a baby just crying. And so she flees the bank, doesn't know what's going on, but knows it's bad. And she alerts authorities. Now, authorities only had a vague description of the car. They knew it was a blue car. And so they were on the lookout for this car. They didn't know if it was an Impala or a, a Chevy. They, there was, you know, different descriptions of the car. But they knew it was blue. So they were going to get a helicopter into the air and try to spot any blue cars that might be the getaway car in this but this day was particularly foggy and they weren't able to get a helicopter up in the air quick enough in order to see a car fleeting the scene or fleeing the area so all in all really this guy has robbed a bank killed several people and has fled without anybody really seeing where he's gone so there's little chance at this point that they're going to find him right away. But amazingly, the young couple that came into the bank with a baby, 
they both survived their headshot wounds. So, and they, they actually survive. It's pretty superficial, apparently. They get to the hospital and they're treated for their injuries. And they're able to give a pretty good description of the attacker in this case. Another thing that aids the investigators in this case is they get a pretty quick uh, FBI write-up on what the profile of this killer is. And the profile is pretty interesting. Um, according to the profile, the gunman probably had very sporadic or irregular employment, was probably employed by a maintenance job or manual labor, had a high school education at best, but probably did not finish high school was extremely unpredictable in behavior, often acting on impulse, and was a loner who preferred isolation. After periods of isolation, the profile states he often has outbursts. The man will always act against smaller or weaker persons than himself, is prone to carry or exhibit a knife or gun to impress his associates, associates with persons younger than himself and often threatens them and has a very and has very few heterosexual relations and if he is dating his girlfriend will always be considerably younger the profile also lists several traits that subject may have exhibited in the weeks before the robbery he was totally disorganized he had poor personal hygiene he was unkempt in appearance. He suffered insomnia. He, in all, probably was up all night before the robbery. He also probably did not come home the night before the robbery. The profile continues, This individual will have an alcohol and drug abuse history and prior criminal history. He will exhibit antisocial behavior such as traffic violations. Now, breaking this case came a lot quicker than expected, and it also came a lot further away than probably expected. And that was the two suspects were in San Francisco, California, spending some of the marked bills from the robbery. You see, nationwide, the FBI was searching for these bills. They're just waiting for them to start popping up because they felt that the robbers probably didn't realize that the bills that they received were marked in such a series that they could be identified. In San Francisco, J. Wesley Neal and Robert Grady Johnson were found to be spending those bills. They had been staying in a hotel in San Francisco and they had been not very quiet about their presence. They made it known that they were looking for a place to live in San Francisco. They were they were keen on moving there, and so the FBI, having that knowledge, was able to use that against them. So they showed up to their hotel room. A, they had the desk clerk phone their room. A FBI agent posing as a real estate agent let them know that she was there and wanted to show them a few places. They came down, and they were surrounded and arrested without incident. The police then issued a search warrant and found significant evidence in their hotel room. They found cash, airline tickets, a pair of Levi's that had a stain below the, the rear pocket. And the FBI felt like they had enough to pretty much hold these guys and uh, get them ready for extradition back to Oklahoma. 
it seemed like California just could not get rid of these guys fast enough. It was interesting to see how quickly the federal court could get somebody extradited somewhere. This crime took place on the 14th of December. They were found on the 20th of December and arrested. And by the 29th of December, they were both in Lawton, Oklahoma. Now, if this were going through the state courts, this would actually be a little bit more lengthy of a process, but the federal government was able to help out in this instance to get these guys moved a little bit quicker. The bank robbery charge is a federal crime, and they could be tried in a federal court for this crime, but the federal government decided to step back on this and let the state try the murders to see what success they would have in that. Now, this was probably one of the biggest crimes in this area that's happened in a very long time. And while the trial was getting ready to start, the people in the area was very interested in seeing what was going on. This is long before there was a thing like court TV or anything like that that could give you an eye's view into the courtroom. If you wanted to know what was going on, you had to go down to the courtroom yourself and see it firsthand. So the courthouse had to open up a overflow room so that more people were able to actually watch the trial take place. You got to remember that this was a small town and a lot of these people knew each other. And a lot of the people that were in this audience were either friends or relatives of the victims. Now the evidence is pretty damning against Jay Neal, who was pretty much identified as the gunman and the stabber in this case. He was the one that went into the bank. He was the one that committed the crime. But what's really unclear is if Robert Johnson had anything really to do with the uh, robbery itself. Now, what we do know is that Jay Neal, who was 19 years old, went into a pawn shop in order to buy the pistol. He wasn't able to buy it, and so he got Robert Johnson to purchase the pistol for him. Days later, he commits the robbery. Then the two men are found in San Francisco together in a hotel room, uh, living a kind of lavish life together. Now, another survivor, Baleen Robles, actually testified and cleared some of this up. She stated that after she was injured, she heard two voices in the bank. It was her belief that there was more than one bank robber at the time. I also believe that the FBI didn't believe that Robert Johnson was there because in most of their reports they attributed him to being either, you know, several miles away at the time of the robbery. So there's that. But he did profit from it. I believe he probably helped plan in this robbery, uh, maybe helped set it up. At the end of the trial, it's pretty obvious where this was going. With the uh, amount of evidence that they had, the blood evidence on the knife, they had they had the marked bills that was given to the robbers. They had blood on the shoes, and then just lots of testimony in identifying at least one of these men as the robber and murderer in this case. In less than 24 hours, the jury was able to come back with a guilty verdict for both men. They were both found guilty of first-degree murder. Then the jury came back with the recommendation of a death sentence for both men. Things were pretty well set for this, except for in 1993, a retrial was ordered because during the penalty phase of this, the prosecutor used 
homophobic slurs about the men, uh, and it might have been more damaging to the case than what was originally seen. So they were given new trials. The only thing that that new trial really did for them was Janiel was found guilty and given the death sentence once again. Robert Johnson was also found guilty, but they removed the death sentence. They gave him life without parole. Now, on December 15, 2002, Jay Neal was scheduled to be put to death. This was 18 years almost to the day of the murders. He spent almost half of his life at this point in prison. Some of his last words were, I want everyone to know that I'm really sorry for what I did. I'm not sorry because I'm lying here dying. I hope you can find some comfort in that. Neil said he was sorry for jeopardizing his salvation and repeatedly invoked the name of Jesus. He also stated that Robert Johnson was not in the bank. He knew that nobody believed him, but he wanted it known that he wasn't there. To this day, Robert Johnson is still living out the rest of his life in prison. This was such a tragic crime for its time. Really, the amount of money that these guys got could not have been worth the lives of these four good people. The small town of Dromino has been changed forever because of this. It is something that it's going to be hard to come back from. Even all these years later, it's something that's still known, talked about, and, you know, it'll be a long time before it's taken out of their memory, basically. Personally, from what I've read, I think that Robert Johnson was there at the bank the day of the robbery. I think he was probably waiting out in a car, uh, waiting for neil to come back from the robbery he was waiting for neil and it's going to be pretty much his getaway driver anyways guys uh, join us next week on wednesday where we have our way back wednesday episode where we will be taking a deep dive into the darker side into oklahoma's darker history but for now make sure you hit that subscribe button Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Oki Investigations, and I will see you guys next time. See ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.